Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichols. And it's our show. We're talking about renovating to flip versus renovating to hold. What's going to be the right fit for you? And to walk us through this, we are joined by friend of the show, Ilsa Wolf from Opus Accelerate. Ilsa, welcome back to the show. Thanks again. Now, tell me, what are the main differences between a renovate to flip versus a renovate to hold on to? We pretty much have a, a list of Bs, different to the Burr, but key considerations when looking to flip, the Bs you're looking for are considering your buyer, the type of building, and then your building materials, basically the price of or the type you choose, and finally budget for the reno. And just so we're clear, when we're talking about renovating to flip, we're talking about buying a property, doing it up and selling it straight away, which is different from the Burr strategy where you buy a property, do it up and then rent it out and keep on holding it. And of course, one of the main differences here is you need someone who's going to be the buyer. So tell us about them. Quite often, property flipping or trading is another quite common term for the same activity. It is usually quite commonly placed the price point or when you sell on the property after you renovate is quite often to a first home buyer. And so that can typically be in a a low to mid price point in the market. And that's where we would call that sort of the mass market buyer. And I'll tell you why this is quite an attractive proposition to that end buyer. So let's just say you've got a um, 10% deposit for a $700,000 property. So you're buying for $700,000, you've got 70K in the bank. Now, if you're an owner occupier and you want to renovate a property, there's a really nice house with all the bones are there, but you want to renovate it, you have to have not only your deposit, but you've got to have the money for the renovations as well. Whereas if you buy off someone who's already done the renovations, not only do you not have to have the skills or take on that risk, but you can just have 10% of the purchase price rather than having the renovation funds. That's right. And another point to that, Andrew, is what we were seeing quite a lot in the actual lending aspect for first-time purchasers, whether it was an investment property or first-time buyer, lenders were getting quite uh, you know, specific in the last few months about the security, so the actual property they were buying. And so a house that really needed a big do-up if they didn't see that that first-time buyer had the skills or know-how, then they were actually declining the finance as well. Wow. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is surely this would change the sort of renovations you do as well. So if you think about you're buying a property, you're going to do it up, and your buyer's going to be a first-home buyer, would that change the sort of steps you would take? Perhaps you wouldn't add in three extra bedrooms. You might keep the lounge quite large because owner-occupiers tend to like having nice living areas where they can host friends and family. Compare that to if you were renovating to hold. Effectively, your buyer is your renter. Renters tend to care about having enough bedrooms, so perhaps you wouldn't add in the cabin and the extra couple of bedrooms. That's right. And so probably if you're renovating to flip or trade, you might be putting yourself more in or projecting your own desires for your own home, right? So it's, okay, if I were to live in here and this was a home I purchased, so very similar to what you're saying, Ed. So if you picture a young family or a couple that intends to have a family, they will be thinking about, okay, is the section fully fenced? What are the neighbours like? Do they have pets? Do I need a gate on the front? Do I want a, a front yard, a backyard? And some of the maintenance addressed, because quite often to get those larger spaces for kids outside, it's more likely it could be an existing build. And then also, as well as that property, they'll be thinking, what is it close to? Again, preschools, corner shops and schools. And of course, renters care about some of these things as well. But when we talk about the cash flow hacking steps, which we often discuss on the show, that's about how to get the rent up. And to get the rent up, you add in lots of bedrooms, you might add in a cabin. Those are not going to be the same renovations you do 
If your goal is no longer to get the rent up, it's to get the highest price possible when it comes to selling that property to the buyer. It's probably the most emotive of the investment strategies because you're considering these things that someone will make an emotional purchase on. And so that obviously affects what type of property you're going to buy. So what should investors look for when they're choosing a property to select to flip? They'll want to look in, you know, not even just a suburb level, but often a few blocks where they can really master and be completely on top of the recent sale prices for every single property within, you know, a one or two kilometre radius, I know is very, very common. So being completely on top of what the sale prices are for renovated properties and seeing evidence already of that gentrification that we often talk about on the podcast, which is what was previously a rental suburb transforming into a first home buyer type area, you know, evidence of bikes and, you know, the kids are around there and sort of a general improvement and upkeep of that area, which shows that younger families are able to afford and and improve the homes in this area. So that has a good positive effect on value uplift, as well as making sure that you're buying in an area where first home buyers will be among other first home buyers. Yeah, we often talk about becoming a suburb level expert because you are effectively, as we say, trading, you're buying a property to sell it. You need to understand, well, if I buy this dunger of a property and I do it up and I spend X amount of money on the renovations, what am I going to be able to sell it at the end? And so you want to be active in that market, understanding what's going on in that suburb. And also, what about the house itself? Is the property I look at going to be different between if it's a flip and a buy and hold? So the type of property can typically be, you know, your classic three bedroom, one bath, 1970s weatherboard or something similar. That's very much a typical first home buyer property. Again, they're probably looking for a good use of outdoor space for their future family planning. And so the properties can be similar. But when you're looking to plan the renovation, the levels of maintenance you'll be willing to take on in a flip may be less so than if you were going to renovate to hold. Because if you were going to renovate to hold, having the ongoing maintenance following the renovation will be more top of mind to the investor knowing it's, you know, a matter they'll be dealing with themselves. For a flip, they'll be keeping the renovation as light and cosmetic as possible to minimize their spend. Okay, so if you're going to flip, you're not going to be as worried about maintenance, even if the property has some long-term maintenance that needs doing, because you're not going to own the property at that time. And so talking about building materials, how does it differ when you're doing a flip, so you intend to sell straight away, compared to the traditional model of yours of renovating and holding? What you mentioned about the emotive design before, Andrew, was absolutely spot on. So this is the type of renovation where it would be more appropriate to look at the on-trend fixtures and fittings. So the gooseneck tap of the trending colour that will appear to the first home buyer. You can't necessarily afford on a flip to spend on that original German hardware, but you'll look for the same look at the lower price point. So that's kind of a good example of trying to get that on-trend interior design effect but at the cheapest dollar possible. So you're almost trying to hack a renovation and not cut corners, but really create an aesthetic in the cheapest way possible that will appeal to the emotions of that first-time buyer. So another good example would be rather than buying a marble tile for a splashback, you'd be going for the marble look tile. So there's a printed effect that looks like marble, but it doesn't cost anywhere near the cost of marble tiles. Yeah, so just really make it look a bit more sexy than you might when you're just doing a, a burst strategy. 
And even on some of the webinars we've done, Ilse, you often talk about how matte black taps were all the rage a couple of years ago. And for a flip, those would be perfectly fine because you could install them and then somebody's going to buy it. Maintenance isn't your problem anymore. But sometimes there are some issues with that kind of trend. Maybe the trends change. Maybe those types of taps require more maintenance. So if you were renovating to hold, you might just go for classic stainless steel, something that's really durable and also easy to replace because when you have to replace it, it's your problem. If it's a flip, well, you don't care as much about, well, how easy is it to replace that specific tap because, well, that's going to be on whoever buys it. Really good example. So if you think rose gold tapware was yeah, really popular a recent time ago, but imagine in five years' time trying to replace that damaged tapware, more than likely you'll be replacing that with a solid stainless steel, having seen what happened to that, and then that's at odds with the rest of the design. So that's a really good example, Ed. And so what's a sort of a typical budget if someone is going to do a renovation to, to flip? So with a flip, it's more about leading with the end sale price. So if you're really on top of what those sales have been in that very immediate location, you sort of reverse engineer the deal. So it becomes more about making sure you preserve the margin you want to make. But of course, it needs to be in proportion to the sale price of the property. So you know, I've got a couple of examples we'll go through and they're very different levels of spend for the renovation. But in both cases, both properties preserved about a $70,000 profit. The principle, the core principle when you're spending to renovate would be to keep it as cheap as possible to get the finish that you want. And often, you know, if we think about the core cash flow hack principles, the painting, the fixtures and fittings, going for the same look, but going for a basic finish rather than a high end finish. So if I compare to a cash flow hack renovation, you know, typically $65,000, you can spend that if you're able to make, say, 65K profit on your expected sale price. However, you'd be trying to reduce that spend as much as possible so that you can increase your margin. So when you say reverse engineer, say I know that a property all done up is likely to sell for 700000 in that street and I can buy this one for five fifty. And I want to make a margin of a hundred grand just in case, you know, I get a lesser amount at the sale price. So I want to preserve that kind of level. Then I have a maximum of fifty thousand dollars that I can spend on the renovations, and then I figure out, okay, well, is that realistic or is it not? Perfect example. Yeah. Of course, we've also got to think about the amount of tax we've got to pay. We've also got to think about the real estate agent. But broadly speaking. That's correct. Now, Elsa, let's dive into some of these case studies to get a sense of what a flip looks like in today's market. So a friend of mine who's an investor in Auckland, and this is an example from New Lynn, so quite central Auckland, in a challenging market, say three to four months ago, so what's that, February, March this year, this was an interesting one. So a double property, a cross-lease property of two standalone houses in New Lynn. Each house was a three-bedroom, one-bath, standalone property. But the front one, which probably was the original very large house, had a lot of internal extra space, like oddly large, similar to the recent case study of the Christchurch example. So what the investor decided to do was take advantage of some of the factors that make flipping really attractive and ways to reduce those holding costs, which is another key factor. So if you negotiate really well on a flip, you want to minimize holding costs or your finance costs by trying to get the renovation done or as much of it as possible pre-settlement, so before you would start to incur your finance costs. And in this case, being two properties, this investor managed to get pre-settlement access, complete the renovation, and in fact, sell that first property 
And that was enough to finance the settlement and second renovation on the back property. So that was a very clever way of not needing to put their own money into the renovation on the second one. And it meant that they actually sold it before they'd even started incurring their own finance costs on that one. That's great. I mean, there is some added risk with doing a project like that, but that is awesome if you can pull that off. Yeah. So I'll give you the top line numbers for that if you like. So being two, three bedroom, one bath properties. Now the front one, which was larger, they were separate prices. The front one was $650,000 and this required a really extensive renovation, but keep in mind it was very large and immediately the investor added in two cosmetic bedrooms. So turned it into a five bedroom house. That renovation was $130,000 excluding GST. And then they actually resold that for $950,000 to a parent of their kid's friend at school. So quite fortuitous, happened really quickly. So from six fifty purchase price, sold that, which was one of the two properties, for $950,000. And excluding GST, which is something you do need to consider for flipping, they made a profit of around $75,000, which was a huge win and given that a lot of flips were not turning a profit three, four months ago. And is that even after 75 k even after paying a real estate agent or was it a private sale? Yes, it's after paying the agent. Yes, just uh, excluding GST was the profit. And that's also going to be pre-tax as well. So they don't get 75k handing the bank account. But I mean, that's the same with any business. But I'm just making it really clear for people out there, they might take home, say, 50 odd thousand dollars, which is obviously always very, very welcome. Okay, so on the front unit, they spent about 150k, if you include GST, to make about 75k. So what about the back unit? The back house, they bought for $550,000, so a combined 1.2 for the two properties. And then they spent 76000 plus GST on that renovation. Extremely quick turnaround. They didn't add any bedrooms. There wasn't really any extra space. It was purely paint, flooring, bathroom and kitchen. And they sold that for 765000 Really good. Increase of 265k really quickly, having spent 76 k And how much did they walk away with after paying all of the expenses? about 70,000 profits. So consistent about 70, 75K on each of those properties, even though the purchase price was slightly different and the renovation spends were completely different. And so this is what you're talking about when you're saying you reverse engineer the profit you're making. You decide how much can you spend? How much can you offer for the property based on what you think you can sell it for? That's right. And what actually happened was through the proceeds of that first sale, it meant that they didn't need to go to their plan B, which was base court blending, which would have added higher costs to their expenses to that renovation period. Okay. So that was an extra win. So because they staged it, they didn't need to get as much money out of a, a non-bank lender. Now, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And if you want to learn more about what else does at Opus Accelerate, just head on to the website, opuspartners.co.nz. You'll find it in the services section. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.